This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very interesting episode as I get to discuss walking behavior across the lifespan. And we have a brilliant guest for the episode. Our guest is a professor and a dean of the College of Health and Human Services in University of North Carolina at Charlotte. She has published over 300 articles and is one of the most cited authors in the field of physical activity. Her paper, How Many Steps Per Day Are Enough? Preliminary Pedometer Indices for Public Health has been cited over 1,200 times. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Professor Catherine Tudor-Lock. Welcome, Catherine. Well, thank you for having me, Ali. This is a joy. So so have you actually been looking for the running like in uh, recreational jokers? Does it fit? Uh, does it go, go with the energy expenditure? I haven't done it as much, although um, I had a graduate student and uh, she was very interested in the walk to run transition, like when you go from walking to running. And so we had the data and she's got a paper that's um, out now. She's published it in abstract form. So I can tell you um, what, what she found in the abstract was basically the punchline was 140 steps per minute. Now, I mean, that's what we call a proxy or a, what we call a heuristic. It's a guiding value. It's like saying... 30 minutes moderate intensity day or eight glasses of water a day or, you know, nine fruits and vegetables. I mean, it's a general number to give you some information and some guidance, but it's not intended to be precise because Ollie, you might, you know, you might transition at a 142 and I might transition at 139, whatever. We're, it's in that, in that global area there. And again, um, over time, some young researchers could get to a point where they could provide more precision. And why is that important? Well, it helps with coaches. It helps with, uh, for example, those of us that pour over uh, large databases of digital data um, where we can say, oh, those people were running, those people were walking, those people were walking slowly, those people were sitting. Like we could actually see uh, from the data people's behavior at that moment by by looking for these values if we know the the mile markers you know the 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 the, the thresholds to be able to say what people are doing based on a couple of numbers mm. yeah and and do you know are there, are there any any of the fitbits using these cadence things in their intensity classification or how, how are they doing? I've, I've seen some people starting to adopt it, yes. And I mean, uh, real-time cadence does take a lot of memory, you know, for, for devices. So there's only some devices that are doing real-time cadence. Some are, are uh, providing, um, you know, uh, updates every few minutes. So there's there's that. It'll It'll continue to improve. But again, even without devices giving you that feedback, it's a very quick cognitive computation if you're interested in that. It's very, very quick and simplistic. But again, um, 
also visually, if we have visual recording, recordings, we can get it. Uh, the so I'm kind of out ahead of some of the instrumentation on this, uh, but uh, it's coming. It's just like when I was out ahead on counting steps and then the wave of uh, wearables came on after that. So. Mm. so so do you think we should define for for common people the intensities through cadence and not not from frisk or some kind of words or heart well, rate i think we can do all of it i mean we don't have to stop using one just because we've brought another definition into the fold uh and in fact uh, i love putting tables together where i can say how this measurement of intensity relates to this measurement and so on. And there's some overlap and it, and it depends on how they were defined originally and so on. But it provides, again, just general knowledge so that people can have a better understanding. But I would still argue that what we have shown is cadence is very strongly related to intensity. Uh, and like I say, so much so that we can confidently put heuristic guidances out there. And eventually, we will be able to provide uh, more precise estimates based on a number of personal characteristics. And we're still pulling those personal characteristics together, but it keeps getting less fuzzy and keeps getting tighter. Yeah, and and you mentioned that you could you could see from the video the head bouncing. Do you have you tried to automatically analyze, for example, from some cameras which are in the street corner? That can you can you classify the intensity of people walking? I by? had a postdoc who was starting to look at it and uh, then got offered a job and went elsewhere. Uh, and maybe he'll continue then. But it was it was one of those things, you know. As scientists, you're always you start with observation, right? And you say wow, we're like pigeons when we walk, you know, our, our center of mass goes up and down. And whether you put the accelerometer on your belly button or on the top of your head, you're going to get that up and down. And then we went, wow, look, we can see, you know, people's heads bobbing up and down. And, and we thought, well, we could do it. And so it starts with that sort of observation. And then you have a theory and then you want to test that. And uh, again, I'm absolutely willing to tell these ideas to the young scientists and say, hey, you go. Uh, I'm, I'm busy enough nowadays that uh, I'm so happy if other others take up the torch and, and run with it and, uh, and keep expanding on this information. Mm, yeah, yeah. Sounds sounds really interesting research. And if if we move to more the walking behavior throughout the lifespan, could you tell about how how does it change from childhood to adulthood and and to old age? And what are the kind of interesting findings? Yeah, there? you know that's you know I'm venturing into my my uh, bi biomechanist experts uh, um, uh, territory here. So again, apologies to any. Uh, biomechanists out there who who think that what is she talking about <laughs> but um you know i know that when they're younger than than six we don't necessarily always have uh, an adult like pattern of walking yet but we can still look at ambulation but definitely uh when we started looking at cadence we've got six-year-olds and above so we're very solid in our area because we can get the pattern of walking that we need to look at uh, it, but the thing is, you know, during that developmental pay, uh, phase of six to, you know, 21 years of age, all the way up to young adulthood, you know, they're growing, you know, and uh, by the time they hit 
into their their teens and they're starting to get that um, you know uh, peak height that they're going to get their walking is pretty much like an adult so even in our um, teens we were saying that we were finding the same relationship with intensity and cadence pretty much by the time they hit that. Uh, so whereas uh, even the younger ones, it was a, it's a different pattern. And, and like I say, we're, we've got uh, funding now to explore that even further. But by the time you got to adulthood, it was pretty much, like I say, 100 and 130 were the moderate and vigorous intensity. And basically, essentially, you know, again, talking from a heuristic point of view, um, every increase in uh, 10 steps per minute was approximately one met. It just kind of worked out that way. I didn't force it. It just worked out that way. And uh, and so that was very clear all the way from, you know, 21 to 85 years of age. And people will always say to me, well, what about leg length and height and all that? And And we go, you know what? Leg length and height matter when you've got somebody who's like, four foot five and somebody who's six foot four, right? You know, definitely the extremes, you could see it. But um, for the the majority of people on the bell curve, uh, it wasn't uh, a very strong explanatory variable. And so will it end up eventually in more of our precise, you know, our precision estimates? Yes, because that will be important for the people who are extreme, it will have less of an impact for the people who are are more or less your average human height. Um, so uh, it's, but like I say, by the time we got into the 80s and so on with the uh, uh, adults we were finding, their cadence and intensity relationship was the same statistically. and when it came to vigorous intensity, you could argue technically it was the same, but there were so few older adults that actually were able to achieve vigorous intensity uh, that um, it was, like I say, a moot point. Something that, that is, it's an interesting technicality, but moot. So, um Yeah. It was, it's, it's, it's interesting, but again, you know, I, for the, the, the listeners who are very interested in the data, you know, the, the papers we've published on there, um, you can, you can get the data because we made a commitment to making our data fully discoverable. And so they appear as supplementary files in, in the papers that we've written. Mm-hmm. So basically you said that the older people are not usually reaching vigorous intensity in walking. Do you think it's more about motor skill or about or from a metabolic perspective that they they cannot It do could it? be it, um, my first guess it's a fitness issue. You know, so that's my first guess. And so if I were to do that study again, I would um we were just getting ambulatory um uh, ostensibly healthy people. If I were to do that specific question again, I would actually recruit older adults who currently run. So people who are used to vigorous exercise, because I would just, I'd just like to be curious. I'm just curious on for those who are fit and who do regularly run and who have the capacity to go 140, 150, 160, even 170 steps per minute. Um, is vigorous intensity the same as for the young? I suspect it will be. But until 
somebody gets the evidence. And again, here's an easy study for any graduate student to uh, um, queue up and do, uh, uh, because I won't be doing it. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think that would be great just to put put that question to rest. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian, from researchers to researchers. Mm. Yeah, and, and have, have you been comparing the steps in, in the modern world to historical records or or somehow for the evolutionary point of well view. you know that's a very interesting question because i've 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 uh, enjoyed interdisciplinary discussions and i've had people um uh, anthropologists sociologists talking to me and some historical people and they're trying to figure out the number of steps people would take amongst these different structures and in uh you know ancient civilizations and so on and it's very fascinating to see these sorts of applications. And um, besides intellectual discourse, I haven't seen anything at this point. But I do know, again, you know, we know that um, the the concept of a mile uh, comes from a Roshan, uh, Roman word, mile, which is basically a thousand strides and a stride being two steps. So that's 2,000 steps. So, and that's, you know, even today for those of us, I mean, I think it, Dave Bassett was the first to show that, you know, a mile is basically 2,000 steps. Uh, so, um, well, I don't think he's first. I mean, the Romans were the first, but he, he verified it with modern times. Uh, so, uh, and, and it's approximately 2,000. Again, you know, human beings are not robots. You know, so it's not like everybody suddenly a mile is exactly a 2000. Of course not, you know, but generally from a, again, heuristic point of view, we can say that and, and, and be comfortable with that knowledge. Mm. Yeah. And, and if we quickly go, what's your take? How many steps do we do we need per day? It's uh, of course a complex it, question, but what it is a say? complex question. But uh, myself and then others also have shown that seventy five hundred steps per day is a is a good translation of public health guidelines as we understand them today. And uh, others have shown that it has been associated with good health outcomes. Uh, my thought also is that just more than you've been taking is so if you've led a sedentary lifestyle and you're taking 2,500 steps a day, oh my God, if you can get to 5,000 or 6,000, fantastic. Uh, getting to 7,500 is a good mark to get. If you get to 10,000, yay. If you get to 12,500, even better. At this point, we don't know of a number that's considered to be too much. So there are benefits associated all the way um, up the way. And, and, and again, David Bass, I'll give him credit. He was the first to show the, the highest recorded values at this time are in, were in Amish men in, living in Canada and uh, not using any mechanical or 
electronic devices or anything like that. And they were averaging about 18,500 steps per day. And Amish women were 14,500 steps per day. That's averaging with no overuse injuries. Uh, so uh, the human being is certainly capable of much more than our current uh, sedentary lifestyles. Hmm. Yeah, if if listeners are interested in this, I had a recording with Andreas Holterman, who's who's uh, studying blue collar workers, and they have measured, for example, cleaners and other. And with them, it seems that it's not they are, they are not fit because they don't take any intensive steps. It's all the time low intensity. But that's that's I think is another story. Do you think we should have guidelines for certain amount of steps? with moderate intensity and certain amount of steps with vigorous, would it be easier to communicate or do you think the recommendations are doing a good job at the moment? Well, you know, we've we've asked that question because we were very interested in it. And again, us and then others have, have uh, done some looking at this in to say, you know, if you consider intensity, does it mean anything more in these large population data sets? And ultimately, for the general population, no. But Ollie, you're absolutely correct. There are individuals, you know, waiters, waitresses, cleaners, and so on, who might be taking a lot of steps, but never really breaking that intensity. But they are a small enough portion of a population that the population data say it doesn't matter. Because if you tell a person to focus on volume of steps, the then then it's it's difficult for the average person who doesn't have one of those types of jobs to accumulate um you know it's it, we don't go to the bathroom often enough in a day to get a lot of little steps without doing intensity we get those through purposeful walking um and so for the grand majority of people you can just say you know get a large number of steps 7500 10000 12000 whatever uh you want to uh, get in on Um, you can say that and you can be very comfortable that they're likely to get purposeful steps shooting for that higher number. Uh, so, um, so that's the public health message from a clinical point of view, which means I'm talking to one person at a time in my office, you know, then if I find out that they are uh, a waitress who is taking 18,000 steps per day, but I know they're low level, then that's a conversation I could have with that individual about getting some higher intensity into their life. Uh, but um, across the board, uh, it, it the data doesn't support that it's a, a necessary thing to emphasize. And from a public health point of view, the simpler we keep the messages, the better. Mm. And and have you been looking any patient populations, or have you done only with healthy people? Um, I started out my work with people with type two diabetes, uh, I, <clears throat> and so uh, and I've uh, uh, and older adults, and in those populations, I mean, I was seeing things like seven hundred steps per day, and when I first saw that, I was going, "No way! No, that's not possible." Uh, but then, after interviewing them and getting to know them a little bit and realizing what they don't do in the day, uh, I started realizing that that's quite possible. So, I, I was for a while very interested in extremely low steps per day populations, and. Uh, I found it was mostly very easy to get them to take more. I mean, they'd start from less than 700 steps per day and I could get them up to 4,500, like, like within 
48 hours, it seemed. And, and it was just a case of them being aware of what was active. So yes, I have worked with some um, patient population and patient population data sets or, um, you know, less ostensibly healthy. Uh, so yes, but with, with regards to cadence, less so. And that is an interesting question, Ollie. That is something that, you know, I'm hoping, I've put a grant in, I'm hoping I can get this, but I'm very interested in, see, there's a relationship between cadence and intensity such that we can, we can predict an intensity defined metabolically. But there are some conditions like type 2 diabetes where that relationship may may be disrupted because their metabolic system is is disrupted and and so for example with type 2 diabetes their heart rate isn't really a good indicator it doesn't fit the 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 norm that we know for the relationship with intensity and i'm thinking cadence might be the same that's just a question that i have I'd like to answer it. Um, so that would be that would be an intriguing one for me. Mm. And and you mentioned that the heart rate doesn't reflect intensity in type two diabetic. What, what, why is that? It could be neural input, right? It, it could be. Uh, and again, I'm venturing into uh, my interdisciplinary expert uh, uh, territory that uh, we've had discussions. My physiologists will say, you know, it could be the the, the relationship and how the physiology uh, physiological out um, output is adjusted with somebody who has uh, neural um, condition related to type two diabetes. Uh, but because of this, I'm going okay. So th- what I'm used to seeing in an intensity cadence relationship might be disrupted in people with type 2 diabetes. And that's, like I say, that's an intriguing question that I'd like to investigate a little bit more if I have time. Mm. Yeah. And if we move a little bit to to advice for the early career researchers, you have you have get a lot of grants. What would be your advice for early career researcher when when applying? Oh, you gotta fail a lot. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I, you know, everybody says, oh my God, Katrina, have you been successful? And I says, because I failed a lot. And, uh, anyone who's, who succeeded has failed a lot. And, and you learn every time you fail, you learn something a little bit more from your critics, from the experience. And the next time you go in, you're better prepared and you, and I'm still doing that. I mean, I'm still putting in grade grants. I'm still failing. I'm still learning. I'm still going back in again. So fail, but be persistent and resilient. Uh, you know, shake it off and just get back in there and do it again. Uh, and uh, I, I work with faculty, the same thing, same message, you know, you know, stomp your feet and shake your fist at the sky for a few minutes, you know, get it out of your system and then just tuck in and just do what you need to do to get the thing that you really believe in. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I would say to young people. It's, it's, um, it's challenging. It's very rewarding, but, uh, you know, you surround yourself with great people and, uh, get the support you need and you keep pushing. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. 
If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.